G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-orientated, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Part of my advice to guys who are investing and who are using third-party managers, the, the first question to ask is, who's taking care of my stuff? That should really be the first and last question. Who's the regional? Who's the RVP? And then how are you going to put good people on my site? Because good people are so hard to find and good people are so hard to, to retain. And, and something I see guys eliminating from their budgets a lot is employee recognition events, uh, employee outings. Those, that's like the best money you can spend because the, the thing that's keeping mm-hmm. people in Malta family right now is, is the culture of good management companies. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, 
show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes. And you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Luke Lyons. Luke is responsible for the business development of ResProps, a nationwide property management company. Prior to working in traditional multifamily, Luke oversaw development of age-in-place senior living communities and acquisitions of long-term care facilities, as well as finance and oversee the development of villa projects in Mexico, the country. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today because he's going to share some incredible knowledge and insight about the community of being a property manager, but also just his background. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Luke. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, man. Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Mate, my pleasure. Um, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of what you do and what makes you tick, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Sure, sure. So when I was, uh, how old was I, 12 or 13 years old, this, uh, this, this, this website came up called eBay. So I started buying and selling on eBay when I was about 12 years old, uh, back in the dial-up router days. So I'd plug in the, uh, the home phone system and then buy and sell on eBay, bought a camera, did that for a couple of years and I actually went and started working for an eBay power selling company. Uh, the day I turned 14, the day I was allowed to legally work, I, uh, I went and worked for an eBay store. <laughs> you, you did it. How'd, how'd they give you a, a job? He's like, please give me a call. I've got awesome experience. Yeah. I, I actually met this guy at a football game and I was talking about eBay. He had, he just happened to have opened one of these eBay stores, which 10 years ago there were, there were eBay stores in shopping centers. Yes, they don't they exist were. anymore. And so, uh, yeah, seven bucks an hour. Had to have my parents sign off to allow me to work there. So I was, I was getting rich at That's the awesome. age of 14. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, man, it's, you understand the value of a dollar. That's really important. And that's Indeed, I do. Probably why, the, the, the reason why I asked that question is to see how you grafted as, as, a, as a young guy. Um, tell me how that, that experience made you into the guy you are today and, and maybe a little bit about your story where you went to university and how you've you know, created a path to your entrepreneurial future. Yeah, I've, uh, I, you know, I've kind of rolled with a lot of different things. So that, that, that first job, I realized that I could go out and at, at a very young age compete with other, uh, other you know, grown, grown adults in, in this marketplace. Um, so I did that for a while. And then when, at, the, at the age of 17, I had this brilliant idea um, up, up at CU Boulder in Boulder, Colorado. Beer was pretty expensive. And I was driving this sweet old minivan. So I said, hey, I could buy beer in other, in other cities and drive it to Boulder and sell it to frats for their frat parties. So I started doing that and realizing, hey, there's always a buck to be made if you're creative. Uh, did that for a while, started throwing events in Denver when I was 19 using a fake ID, uh, throwing parties in Denver, did that. And so I've, I've always been very entrepreneurial. So in college, I went to Colorado State up in Fort Collins. I thought, I want to study entre entrepreneurship, which in, in my opinion, isn't really a thing you can study, right? You can't read a book mm -hmm. about, about starting businesses. So I studied that, picked up two other majors. Uh, management and supply chain management, uh, just because I figured I had to do something else. And uh, I got through college again early, uh, worked my way through college. I was investing in pink sheets, funny enough, <laughs> made made some decent money there, in, betting on in football. What, in what sheets? Pink sheets. So, uh, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street back in the day, these, these uh, ah, penny, penny stocks. Yes. 
penny stocks, which, yep. which, which are like which are like a sucker stock. I did okay on penny stocks, and I was betting on football, and I was I was repping energy drinks. So I I, I paid my way through college, uh, graduated early, and then I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I, I took a supply chain job. I got into wholesaling, health insurance, and corporate benefits. I eventually trickled into finance and started the finance firm when I was 24, 25 years old. Did that for a few years, and I realized that. So we we, we naturally started falling into financing uh, real estate developments, and and my partners and I actually seemed to like that more than what we were doing, managing money. So I said, hey, real estate's kind of cool. And so I got an opportunity a year or two later to start developing and, and purchasing senior living facilities. So I took took that job and fell in love with real estate, and since then I've been working in uh, traditional multifamily. Awesome. Awesome. And, and any aspirations to go back and do your own thing? You're like, you sounds like you're very much a self-starter um, or from back in the day when you're legally shipping and selling uh, booze to, <laughs> to students <laughs> to, to, to now and starting your own financing company, now working for someone else. Is, is there an itch still there uh, within you to, to go off and create something of your own? Yeah. You know, part, part of the reason I am where I am, um, you know, my, my last job, I was working for a very large uh, developer, owner, operator, um, and then, so, so where I am now, we're, we're very entrepreneurial. We're, we're kind of switching gears, which is part of the reason I was brought over. So, you know, I, I feel largely like I am starting and building my own business because I'm part of this great team, sure. but, uh, not, not so much of the stress and the, uh, the starting from zero here with the company who's been very successful as an investor. So right now I feel like I have the best of both worlds. And, uh, yeah, I like to think that down the road, you know, you know, like like so many of us in real estate working for larger small companies, I think we all aspire to to be our own landlord at some point and own a number of deals. So yeah, yeah the, the time will come for that. But right now, really enjoying the ride with InvestRes and ResCrop and what we're doing. And uh, yeah, very very content where I am. What 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 makes you tick? What what gets you out of bed every day? I don't know. Yeah, you 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 always say, okay, what gets this guy going? I I just I'm I'm a lifelong learner. Um, if, if I'm not working hard, I'm working on a new hobby. I'm a master scuba diver and a, and a skydiver, and I've been to just under 50 countries. So I, I, I have such a zeal for the world. There's so much to see, so much to do, that I always want to mm. be doing something. And so, and so the, the, the rush of a new experience, of, of, of a new victory, is really what, what keeps me going. How, how do you, would you say as an American, give, having an international perspective, how important is that? I, in my opinion, it's the most important thing you can do, man. I, uh, I've, I've, I've been to Australia and I really enjoyed it. And I've been to, nice. you know, the, 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 the poorest of the poor countries. And until you get yeah. that perspective and you look around, and you say, oh my gosh, even, even the slummiest apartments or even the smallest little unit, even the, the most average lifestyle here in our country is, 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 you know, the top 1% of 1% in the world. Mm-hmm. And, in, and certainly in, mm-hmm. in the history. So it puts things in perspective. And, and as I'm sure you, and as I'm sure you'd agree, I'm, I'm just thankful to be in this business. I'm thankful for what it's done for me in my life and, and what I'm able to still do. And yeah, more than anything, it just, it just creates a, a level of gratitude. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I'm actually, I've been on a, on a personal level. We we went um, last year in 2019 to the Philippines uh, for our honeymoon. And I was really um, wanting to go back to a third world country or something within me. I've, I've traveled to many third world countries, but that, to what you're saying, that that whole gratitude of seeing people with literally nothing and still have they have a massive smile on their face, and it was just so interesting going to the Philippines and how people in the poorest of conditions still want the number one thing they want 
you'd think would be shelter and water, in my opinion, was actually data, access to internet, so they could get information, which was really kind of interesting. So yeah, I think travel is the most important thing. And I, I get asked all the time by, by young young bucks and gals, you know, what, what, what should I do? I'm in my early 20s, like go backpacking for a year, like get, go get lost in the world and, and stretch, make a, make a dollar stretch and then come back and start, you'll, you'll figure yourself out in that point. And, and, you know, jumping straight into a job, you've got the rest of life to be in a job or, or pursue with something, go, go get lost and experience some new cultures and some new ways of, of thinking, because that's going to help you as a, ultimately as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, as an employee by scratching that itch early on in, in life. So that's awesome. 50 countries. That's, that's a, what's been the number one country you've been to? You know, I, I had a lot of fun in your home country of Australia, but overall, my favorite country was uh, Myanmar, form, formerly called Myanmar. Burma, Myan- okay. Myanmar. It's, it's yeah, one of yeah. the most isolated yeah. countries in the world. And like you said, everyone there is so much happier than I am. <laughs> and, I, and I'm there and I've, I, you know, I, I, you know, I've, got, I've got everything I could want and they're way happier than me. And they have this simple, beautiful right. life out there. And so, yeah, and, and, and you know, even beyond the, the go backpacking for a while. I, I, I always try to encourage people, go take one new vacation every year, one new country. Yeah. So I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Uganda in a few weeks uh, doing, really? a, doing a gorilla nice. trek. So yeah, it, oh, it, it, it's humbling and it's awesome. grounding. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's, it, it's something that's where incredible. Yeah, life gets you down and you lose a deal that you really wanted. You're like, man, my life couldn't be harder. And you go somewhere where you're like, oh man, I've got everything I could ever want. So uh, no, it keeps well, things mate, you and I seem like we're... You and I seem like we're cut from the same, very much the same tree uh, in terms of you know that that international perspective and getting out and trap. You know, my the thing that makes me tick is to the way I do this business is obviously <clears throat> to inspire people and, and be have my time back, but also to travel to go and experience new and, and you know new places. And I think that traveling to a new place every year is should be a goal for everyone yeah, uh, and push yeah. the boundaries. Like you going to Uganda and going on a gorilla trip that sounds freaking incredible. I think you're going to see some absolutely awesome stuff when there, and I'd love to see some pictures. But mate, let's dive into some more of the nuts and bolts of what you do. So you're at Investres, and do you want to give a little bit of a uh, rundown of what they do and and how you mentioned earlier? And I, and I know personally Investres because we've bought deals from them in the past. But you said in the beginning they're they're historically been investors, and now they're pivoting into other forms of the real estate game. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and why they've made that decision to do that at this time of the market? Yeah, yeah, and and, and I'll, actually I'll get to I'll get to loop travel into that conversation too. So we'll we'll keep the travel thing going. So. Our founder cool. in 2010, they graduate from Harvard Law, and they go the exact opposite direction of the way the world thinks they're going to go. They move to Tampa, and they start buying up you know, derelict $10,000, $20,000 a unit, all-cash apartment complexes, turning demographics themselves, renovating units themselves, um, apartment complexes. So they, they, they go straight into the investing game in you know, what, what, what was the worst market in, uh, in, in my lifetime, at least. Uh, did well, raised raised a fund, deployed it very successfully, raised two more funds, deployed very successfully. So that was about 2010 until 2019. Uh, our last fund was closed. And about two and a half years ago, our founders, and I think this is so cool, they, they left the business, obviously in the care of, of, of a great team, and they traveled the world for over a year. And they went to 88 countries and they met with a called a common person, a, a business leader, and a politician from each one of these countries. And the, the question they went with was, how can I impact the world? You know, they made their money at a young age. They did a great job. They impacted a lot of lives. And they said, what can we do next? And so they came back with an idea. And the idea was kind of twofold. A, you know, our, our, our goal as a, as a property owner is really to touch the lives of our residents. And, and part of that was, you know, we had always been a vertically integrated group. 
uh, part of that was we think we can touch more lives as, as a management company than as an owner. It's easier to manage a large number of deals than it is to buy and then manage a large number of deals. And the, the second piece of that was creating some level of gig economy in the, in the blue collar trades. We know multifamily, so that's where we started. So we actually changed our strategy after that trip to, okay, first, first, first things first, let's, let's move from a, a vertically integrated owner to a third party manager. And then second, how can we impact the lives of uh, particularly the uh, maintenance techs, maintenance staff? So we built, called an Uber. So really the scope of, of, our, of our tech is contracting out 1099 uh, unit turns and out of scope work orders on multifamily sites, which creates a gig economy for, you, for your skilled techs. So we've got techs who are, you know, maybe at night they're going out and they're doing some unit turns in their free time. You know, they might make $35,000 a year they can go make an extra ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year at their leisure in the gig economy. Uh, the, the the second piece of that is we've actually got guys who have rolled out of being W two maintenance techs and they're doing full time unit turns and full time out of scope projects through our through our technology, and they're going from thirty five thousand dollars to sixty, seventy, eighty, sometimes ninety thousand um, dollars in in this gig economy. So so our our, our goal with the tech is a obviously create an ecosystem on our on our properties where we're increasing our NOI. But B, creating the opportunity for our our maintenance guys to to live a better life, to have to have more opportunity in what they do, and uh, both both have been working out great. It's been quite the pivot going from an investor to a to a tech company and to a third party manager. But it's been a great ride, and we've we've seen a lot of success. And and why why get out of the business of owning? Because I think overall, yeah, we are not we're in a hot market, we're in a frothy market, and I'm sure you know the boys who founded Investres. Uh, are scratching their heads at some of the prices that are being paid for properties, but overall, in the, in in the long period of time, properties are always going to go up in value. You know, hopefully, it always goes up in value. So, you know, still planting those seeds. Can't you have your cake and eat it as well? Sure, sure. So, so yeah, and, and that's that, that's been the uh, you know, it's tough to see us who have, who our company has been so successful over, over through the last cycle just getting out. And so, obviously, the first thing you think is, oh, these guys are just going to hang out and wait for a few years and then jump back in the low market. Um, I, I, would, I would say candidly and honestly, the, 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 the company is interested in improving the lives. We, we do a lot for charity. We support, we support a school in, in Florida. Um, and then again, our, our goal is to, as quickly as possible, uh, impact the lives of 50,000 residents. And we're, we're, we're catching up to that pretty quickly. And the, the thesis was you, you do a lot more as, as a management company to impact the lives of residents than you could as an owner. Um, and again, like I said earlier, the, the the scale of a management company can be can be larger more quickly than that of an owner. So yeah, I mean, truly, these guys came back after after being an investor, and it's very altruistic uh, what we're trying to do. Um, and that, yeah, that's where we we think we think real estate can most heavily be impacted um, with with the day to day management of properties and operations. I, I do know, as being an owner myself, and and you talk about the um, the tech maintenance guys, and and having good staff like. The old adage is you make money when you buy, you lose it through bad property management and and, and bad people in at the helm. And and we've been at these situations where we've had the, the literally down to the property who's what bum is in and what seat can determine whether if the deal goes well or not. And and regardless if you bought, you know, as well as well as you could have. So how are you getting around that? Because I know I've always struggled um in my just my own psyche that like I can have a $40 million project being managed by someone who's been paid sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year. It's, it seems nuts. And how and how do you instill a, a you know a drive of in them like an owner? 
you know, not just punching the clock and, and, and making sure that they stick around. Because I do know in the property management game, it is a very cyclical, oh, it's not cyclical, but very um, a bit of a turnstile in terms of employees. Like you lose people for a couple of bucks an hour um, to, to other properties. Yeah, and that's, and that's something I talk about a lot, you know, and I call it the staffing crisis. And people say, oh, my gosh, crisis. Coronavirus is a crisis. Staffing on multifamily can't be a crisis. Really, really it, it, it is truly a crisis right now is staffing multifamily properties. Uh, un, unemployment is, you know, rec, record low. Uh, incomes are record highs. And so, and so when, you're, when you're, you know, buying a deal, you're, you're assuming you're going to have good people for 55000 bucks for a property manager, you know, 16 bucks an hour for a tech. Well, there are so many great options out there. The economy is so strong that that's just not the case anymore. And so you'll see guys mm-hmm. underwriting underwriting incomes low in order to make the deal work, and then you can't fill those positions. So instead of paying more for staff, they're just not getting staff on their site. Um, so yeah, I, I'd consider it a crisis. And, and part, part part of my advice to guys who are investing and who are using third party managers, the the first question to ask is, who's taking care of my stuff? That should really be the first and last question. Who's the regional? Who's the RPP? And then how are you going to put good people on my site? Because good people are so hard to find and good people are so hard to, to retain. And, and something I see guys eliminating from their budgets a lot is employee recognition events, uh, employee outings. Those, that's like the best money you can spend because the, the thing that's keeping mm-hmm. people in multifamily right now is, is the culture of good management companies. And as soon as you start getting rid of that culture, as soon as you start pulling back your spend on making your employees feel like they're a part of something bigger or making them feel like they're appreciated, well, your churn's just going to start going crazy on that site and you're not going to be able to hang on to good people. Right. No, you, you hit the nail completely on the head. And that's part of the struggle I have as an owner. Being an owner, and I can only bring so much culture to the table because it's essentially someone else's employee at the end of the day. How do I, you know, I know I just got off a monthly call, I was a monthly call, weekly calls. I'm also the asset manager on our, on our eight deals. And, you know, I'm trying to make sure that I'm empowering the property manager. I hear from every single property manager. How are you going? What's the good? What's the bad? What's the ugly? Come to me with the ugly. And you know, the other day I had one of my um, property managers text me and he's like, hey, Reed, I'm 192 units. You've got um, on, on you got some other couple 192 units, 190-ish units. You've got three people over at those other sites, but I've even got two people here and it's you know the highest occupied thing, a uh, highest occupied asset. Um, you know, I'd like to have some Saturdays off. And I was like, of course you need to have some Saturdays off. Like I didn't even think about that, but like they had to come to me and I'm, of course I'm going to give them, I'm going to spend more on payroll, but I know that this person is worth their salt. And so I'm going to give them what they asked for, right? Because, but again, how do I make sure that I go wrap the knuckle, well not wrap the knuckles, but hold the regional manager accountable to say, hey, why didn't you see this? And why are they coming to me for that sort of information? And that's that's where I can only do so much as an owner, not actually owning the, the property management company. And, and, and something I struggle with a lot because, I think being vertically integrated is part of what creates true wealth um, in terms of you can you can cut down on, on costs and expenses, un- deals underwrite better, but also you have a different revenue stream, right? And and that means that you can be more you know more stable if the economy does take a bit of a spatter. So what like how do you handle that sort of stuff? And what's the advice you could give to say someone myself who is an owner who uses third party property management to instill that? culture and 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 make sure that you're holding people accountable at the right at the right levels so they are getting the support on the you know from asset to asset sure and it, it sounds like you're doing a good job being involved and, and i'll tell you I, th- I think my job is a lot easier than that of the, the people on my sites um <laughs> i don't know if you'll agree or disagree but it's a it's a tough job for them and you know your regionals yeah. always have a lot going on they might have seven ten properties they're they're dealing with 
Um, so, so my advice to owners, and I'll tell you on our, on our third party managed properties, I would imagine about half of our property managers don't have a relationship with their asset manager or owner. So, so in their eyes, if you don't have that relationship, they picture you being uh, a dude in a, in a boardroom with a black suit who, who, who doesn't have a personality, doesn't like to travel. There's, there's no personal relationship. And so, and so it's hard for them to be an advocate for you as the owner. They're just going to be an advocate of their own time and of their own staff. Mm. And so, and so the more you can build that relationship and you know, I've, I've got owners who often, and I actually love this, they'll, they'll to some degree go around the management company and they'll go on site and they'll, you know, give everyone a, a little bonus of some sort or they'll bring in lunch and just talk to the staff mm-hmm. that goes so far when your staff starts to start seeing you as the owner, as a person, and you can talk about, Hey, my investors are also people who are trying to make their lives better, then you're no longer just a, a blank face in a, in a boardroom, right? You're, you're an actual guy. And that's, that's really helped, you know, the, the relationship with the staff from the ownership level, obviously with the regional is so important. So yeah, everything should funnel through the regional, but the more the staff knows you and believes in you, the better they're going to work for you. hundred percent. And I will also add one thing, and I've done that. I've done both sides being the asset manager. I'm definitely in the weeds um, of all my properties and we do exactly what you just say. Like I'm going to go down to Texas next week and I'm going to go see all the sites and, um, and, and my business partner, I, we play a bit of a good cop, bad cop type of thing, but I, I make sure I bring lunch. Um, we, at the end of last year, we did a top golf, uh, event. We had, you know, 45 people show up from all our assets and we, you know, we shout them top golf, um, and, you know, had beers and, and, and drink, uh, and food and all that sort of stuff. But even little stuff like at Christmas time, you know, just give them a $25 gift card from Starbucks, little stuff like that, you know, yep. greeting them with a hug and, and Hey, like, and telling them constantly, like, it's just Andrew and I, like, if you've got problems, come to us, let us know. Um, we want to make your lives easier we want you to be successful um, because there are incentives around noi and bonuses and leasing and all that sort of stuff and we want you to hit them so how do we as owners be the best for you as the on-site property managers and definitely retaining good um, staff is so important but we you know like like any operator we have had our challenges with with trying to get the right bums and seats and, and, it, and it can be tough so 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 yeah what what um i guess what are you seeing now in terms of across the country you're saying that it's a, a, an employment crisis is that a, honestly across every single you know msa that you're in uh every msa that people are looking to buy deals in yeah you know you've got you've got you've right. got some states and some markets where yeah there, there's there's plenty of people who would love to get a job um uh, but i mean gosh florida texas I, I live here in denver any any market uh that that has strong in migration is going to have is going to have probably pretty good jobs and pretty low unemployment. I mean, uh, what's what's our unemployment? Three three point four three point five percent right now. So it's it's, uh, it's yeah, effectively I, I, zero. And then the, and the other piece of that, particularly on the maintenance side, is there's so much development going on right now that why would you go be a tech for sixteen bucks when you can go swing a hammer at a development for for twenty five bucks, right? So on on the maintenance side, I'll, I'll say construction and development has been the bigger issue. And then on, on the kind of on the white collar leasing side. There are just so many businesses and so many jobs, particularly in the markets that most of us are looking to invest or grow in that. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's certainly a shortage and it's certainly, you know, another thing when you're looking at property managers, how do you find talent? What does your recruiting team look like? We we hired we, you know, in recognizing this crisis and I'll, I'll say crisis again, we actually hired the VP of hiring from Starbucks. Because we, we were trying to figure out, OK, how does Starbucks get people in? Because they're making what does a barista make? Twelve bucks an hour. But they're still getting really good, really engaging people. So our, our, our question was, how are they doing that? But all of us here in the multifamily industry can't do the same thing. So we actually we poached somebody over from Starbucks to run our uh, our talent program 
to figure out what building that culture looks like and, and what attracting or retaining that that Starbucks employee looks like so that we can do the same thing. And it's been great for us. We've gone from uh, a lot of open jobs to be filled to, to very few. And and like I said, I think the biggest piece there was was culture. You know, we were we were an investor and so we had an investment culture and then we opened the tech company. And so there was a tech culture and the, the biggest revelation we had in these last six, nine months was multifamily property management. It, it needs its own culture, um, particularly for the people who are working our site. So we, we had a broad culture change on our, on our property management side and it's done really well for us. We've, we've, we've fortunately come out pretty well from the, from the staffing issues. Awesome. Awesome. Well, in terms of culture, how do you build it? Like, and, and what, what do you look for when you're building culture? Is it, is it mission? Is it values? Is it understanding the North that everyone in your team understands where the North star is? Like what, what, what are we all rowing towards? And, and what, what advice do you have for people out there looking to build culture in their business? Yeah. You know, for us, we, we, we took it about as far as we could with culture. And then that, that, granted they've been doing this from before I was around. So every, every morning we'll actually have a, a team huddle in all of our offices and on all of our sites and we work our way through a list of our company's ethics, our, our, our virtues, our, our, our mission statement. We'll actually work item by item. So our company put together, here's what's most important to us and to our people. And so we'll actually start every day. Everyone gets in a huddle and we'll talk through one of our, one of our virtues of our company. And then we'll level set for the day. You know, so many of us, you know, you, you or I or a lot of our executives might have a, 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 great, a great daily routine where you wake up and you, and you kind of mentally organize your day. Here are my priorities. Here's what I want to keep in my mind. Here's what I'm grateful for. And then you start your day. Um, that, that's worked out so well for so many of our, of our country and our business leaders that we wanted that to be happening with all of our employees. So we, so we started having huddles. Um, that's worked really well. When you've got a, a, a team on site who every day is anchoring themselves to what's most important to our company, it pays dividends. And so that's the first thing in their mind in the morning and it stays with them throughout the day. That's awesome. No, I think that's 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 a that's a very basic one, but it's something that, as driving that on the property level, is is hard, right? So, um, no, but it's very interesting. And talk to me a little bit more about your tech company. This tech company trying to resolve the tech maintenance issue because I know I have techs on all our sites, and we actually implemented a we got rid of all the lead techs on individual or, or on all our sites, and we actually hired a regional tech. Who goes and oversees in you know, no more than five assets, but then has two, um, you know, sub subtext that work with him on each asset, <clears throat> and so he can act like more of a mentor to show them how to do stuff, and and that, and we have to pay these techs, you know, twenty, thirty bucks, uh, twenty, twenty two, twenty five dollars an hour. Um, how are you? How is your technology going to change that when? You know, a, a tenant calls at the middle of the night and says, "Hey, my, my water's le- uh, the, the the toilet's broken and it's leaking all over the floor and the carpet's getting wet." Sure, and, and something something we learned over over the course of rolling this out over the last couple of years was having having contractors, 1099 pros, um, coming out to sites to do work orders is phenomenally difficult. Um, they need access to the maintenance yes. shop. They need access to inventory. Um, it's very very difficult to to figure out. And so we 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 pulled back on the on the work orders. We moved more to out of scope projects. So you know broader landscaping projects or things that aren't your normal work order, and then unit turns. Um, and that's worked out really well. So what, what really from a, from a property perspective, the reason it's exciting for owners is, you know, you, we see a lot of 250 unit properties, right? And the old adage of one per 100 is awfully tough on mm. 250 units, right? The part-time staff. Wow. One per 100. You, I thought it was one per 50. <laughs> one per 50. Or excuse me. One, one maintenance and one leasing per 100. 
Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so, so you've got 250 yeah. units, and you're thinking, gosh, do I do I staff it with three guys or do I staff it with two? Well, what we do when we have mm-hmm. when we have this environment of, of of this ecosystem of pros is you can staff it two, and you know those two guys are going to be working as hard as they can. You can pay them well, keeping in mind that's W two labor, right? So you're looking at salary plus benefits plus bonus plus burden. So a, a forty thousand dollar employee actually at the end of the day is more like a sixty thousand dollar employee. So you're going to put two good techs on there at 250 units, and then that extra 50 units worth worth of work on the tech side, they're actually going to be contracting out to pros who are, you know, sole proprietor entrepreneurs through our system, and they're going to be coming in for for a decent rate, coming in doing all the excess. So you know that you're never going to have guys sitting around, and that your guys are going to get to earn their keep and get paid more because they're doing so much, and then the the overflow gets gets passed along. So the you know the the formula is. W-2 payroll plus benefit plus burden cost plus contract services. Um, and, and can you be higher or lower when you pull out half of a half of a guy of W-2 labor and reinsert these 1099 pros? And uh, it, it's, it's worked out really well for us. And so how do you advise those investors who are underwriting deals to want to try and cut those costs? And <clears throat> you see some property management companies having really high, you know, back in the day, it used to be $1,200 in payroll uh, per per unit per year, and I'm seeing definitely in my class B, B plus, A minus assets. It's more like fifteen hundred dollars per unit per year uh, on payroll, and you know between seven hundred to a thousand dollars across repairs and maintenance, contract services, and turn costs on yep. um, for, for for that sort of stuff. And where maybe five six years ago, that's been a lot less. So it just is that the cost of doing business is going up and, and how do you become competitive and how do you do cut costs these days as, as an investor? Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the tough thing is, you know, I, I, I kind of sit in my role between acquisitions and between my property management company. And so I want to advocate for the buyer, for the owner, for the investor, because I want them to win deals. Uh, I also want to advocate for our operation, telling, telling our investors what is and is not reasonable. And, and, you know, the old, the old top down, Hey, this is 185 units. So I don't know, 1250 a unit of payroll doesn't doesn't work right. as well as it used to because we're not really sure no. how far that goes anymore so i i i, I built a staffing model i'm sure I'm, I'm not the first guy to do it but we've got really good data in each one of our markets of what each role costs and then we build in down to you know down to uh pseudo food of fica taxes exactly what that employee costs so when i say it's 1264 for payroll there's a lot of data that, that's going into that number um and yeah it i mean truly it is the cost of doing business and that's why i always advise guys Keep looking forward. There's a lot of good technology out there that's coming around. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, owning in Texas, you're probably familiar with Post. You know, Post has started mm-hmm. kind of centralizing their leasing in that uptown office. Um, that, that's specifically what they're doing in order to kind of combat that, that increasing uh, staff cost. You see uh, UDR is centralizing that ABM role. So they're cent- centralizing lease renewals, market surveys. Uh, collections, that's all centralized. So again, they're looking to pull people off site and centralize it. So, so build more efficiencies. Obviously we're looking to almost understaff maintenance and supplement with 1099 labor. So there's a lot of groups who are doing this. It's just a matter of, of what the right moment is and what, what the best option is. Cause we have so many different uh, strategies to, to combat this. Um, but I think, I think in, a, in, a, in just a few years, I think we are going to see, you know, that one per 50, one per 80, one per 100, I think we're, that's going to keep expanding because I think ultimately the goal in multifamily is to have the, you know, the virtual apartment complex. Maybe have one really strong property manager and one really strong maintenance supervisor, 
and everything else was being supplemented through either centralized services or through you know the the sharing economy or the gig economy and you're, you're already seeing it happening yeah. uh there's a, there's a group called rent grata uh based out of chicago r-e-n-t-g-r-a-t-a and they're actually they're they're putting a button on properties websites where you click the button and you talk to a resident who already lives there so you can say hey i'm thinking about living here what do you think as a resident and so the resident is almost doing the job of the leasing agent talking up the property um what do they get out of it will they get a referral bonus and so the the resident and the prospects actually split the referral bonus if the prospects shows up so they're they're already addressing the the leasing side of things and, and minimizing staff over in that direction ultimately i think we're we're a year or two away from resident touring so you know smart locks are coming along smart homes i think we're going to see smart models where you have a key code for a resident and the resident can actually tour a prospect around the site at 8 p.m at noon whatever it may be and they'll make an extra couple hundred bucks per lease they help us to sign so you're seeing a lot of really cool prop tech coming along and I think we're, like I said, maybe a year or two from starting to see properties who are, you know, seeing 300 unit properties run with maybe three people total. Wow. That's incredible. If that gets to that point, <laughs> sign me up, right? Yeah. Because it, right now, for those people listening out there, a 300 unit property, and we have 300 unit properties, we would have, we've got a 350 unit property, actually the one we bought off you guys, Lake Creek. Um, I think that has th- four people in. So four people on the leasing side and three people on the exterior. So there's seven people on that on that asset. Um, so that just goes to show how many people you could cut down. But also then it's it's a it's a part of training, changing the game and having technology out in front, but then pulling along an industry that has maybe historically been a little bit behind the eight ball on that. And I think that's going to be the hardest thing, like with anything, you know, with your tech maintenance, um, you know, understanding that you, we can't give those work orders maybe to um, this outsourced, you know, gig economy type of, of people because they just need, you need to be more responsive when, it, when someone's to- toilet is leaking. Um, but maybe some of the biggest stuff like landscaping or unit turns, when you have a little bit more time, you can use your systems to, um, reduce the cost. And I and I, I think it's, as an owner, I love hearing this sort of stuff because I want to make sure I'm implementing the right technologically focused or advancing systems in my teams so they are more efficient and they are don't feel stressed and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, a little thing like package lockers or where there's a new one we try to roll out on our property called Fetch. I don't know if you heard about Fetch, but yeah, yeah. the whole delivery delivery to your door. And we've seen on one of our assets, it just hasn't worked because it's, it's in San Antonio. Maybe San Antonio is not quite there yet. They like coming into the office and chatting with the property manager, you know, when it's picking up their package. But for us, that's that means it's time is money and the property manager is not focused on on her job of doing other stuff that need the property needs attention for. So there's different things we're seeing. Another one I'm really seeing, and we're just rolling it out on one of our properties, is the smart apartments for internet. So you can rock up and you literally just log online and you have the routers already in the room uh, and you just pay a flat fee and you have high speed internet and you don't have to bring your router, you don't have to call time on a cable and it's all there ready and ready to go, ready and raring to go. Are you seeing much of that happening, rolling out in the sort of the class B, class C space? Oh yeah, we so actually in the smart homes, we're, we're going through a process with a few different smart homes right now. I think that on the WC stuff, the smart homes make just as much sense as on the newer A product, um, but you see guys mm. more hesitant to roll out the smart home packages in the older product. Um, but I, gosh, I think when, you, when you're looking at this value-add space, it's so competitive, and the renovation is always the same thing. You're doing cabinet fronts, you're doing formica or granite, you're doing vinyl plank, you're painting the walls and updating fixtures. 
and everyone's so crowded, you know, the smart homes that, that even if you're running, you know, maybe lower amenities that that might take you to that next level, you know, taking the C product to a B smart homes, I think are severely underutilized in the value add space mm-hmm. when guys are renovating. Um, something I've really been advocating for. And then, yeah, the, uh, the smart internet, we're doing the same thing right now. A uh, couple, couple benefits to that. It's, it's the ease of use. And then from an owner's perspective, it's actually largely replacing the, I imagine this podcast is mostly for owners. Um, it's, it's, it's supplementing the, the old bulk cable contracts. So it's actually yes. creating an ancillary income item for the owner. So everyone wins. Um, so no, that's right. something that we just, yeah, we just rel- rolled it out on. So go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say it's, it's, it's relatively new, but I, I would expect in the, in the next year or two for that to be the, the, the standard. Yeah, no, I just, the, the, the thing that, you know, with the internet stuff is, people hesitate to roll it out on the older properties because the infrastructure isn't there. You know, these older properties were not built with conduit lines to mm-hmm. the, to each building or up through, you know, the IDF closets where you know, people might not even know what an IDF closet is. Um, but those things don't exist. So you've got to go pay for it. We just spent about a quarter million dollars um, on uh, laying out the conduit for this on 284 units for this smart uh, internet package to be in every single unit. And I think it's going to pay off great. And I think, having the right sales team and that goes back to the you know the property manager side where you ha- you're selling it correctly and that people are coming on and this is an amenity to your you know your your service uh, to your your apartment you've got a newly renovated apartment plus you have this internet not package but internet it's already set up for you, you just got to log in it's high speed you don't have to bring your router you don't have to talk to anyone it's already up and running uh, if you have any problems let us know and we will fix it for you that sort of stuff is making you stand out in the market and making you attract a better type of uh, renter, which hopefully will pay a little bit of a premium for that. So, so yeah. So I guess you know I want to be very respectful of your time, and I appreciate you jumping on the call today. But um, at the end of every show, we like to get into a lightning round of top five investing tips. You ready to do it? Sure, let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Gratitude. Every morning I wake up and I think about the three things I am most thankful for. That keeps me uh, thanking my thanking myself for the position I'm in and uh, working hard. That's awesome, mate. Uh, who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, my my father. Yeah, my my dad. Uh, you know, he he he, he was a, was a great role model, and you know, he really taught taught me growing up that hey, maybe spending time with the family is more important than making money. You know, good good work life balance, and when you're at work being fully at work, and when you're at home being fully at home, has uh, has done a lot for me. Awesome. In your business, I'm sure there is a number one technology that you use, and when I say sorry, number one tool, and when I say tool, it could be technology or it could be a physical tool like a phone or a, a journal. What's the number one business tool you use on a daily basis to keep you on track? Ah, that's a tough one. I have uh, I have field notebooks, little moleskin notebooks. Where every day it's, it's, yep. it, fits, it fits in your back pocket. My, uh, it's it's not quite technology, but I would I would I would lose it without my moleskin. I, I write down the no, four that's... to six most important things I'm going to be doing that day, and I'll open it up about four times throughout the day, and I'll just re-anchor myself to my goals. So now I'm a, I'm, that's, I'm a that's big awesome. fan of the moleskin. It's uh, field notes. Anyone who's not using them, it's a, it's a it's a life changer. I will tell, say exactly the same thing. I actually just have a bunch of um, – I, I ordered something for, for this actual podcast, but it came out with the incorrect spelling. So I had 50 little journals that were printed <laughs> that I was supposed <laughs> to hand out at a, at, at a, at a conference, but it was, something was spelt wrong. And so I've just got them. But now, I've actually now used them as my – I've gone through like 10 of them, but every, every week and daily 
um, you know, to-do lists and crossing them out. And, and something as simple as writing it down on a piece of paper gets it yeah. out of your brain and, and onto, you know, so you're not cluttered in your brain and it's onto paper and you can go back and as you said, you can anchor yourself to it. It's like, oh, that's right. I've got to do that thing today as well. Okay, and, and let's cross it out. And that, it's so funny. That act of crossing that out on that piece of paper is that little mm-hmm. victory for yourself, right? Yeah. So, I mean, my, yeah. my phone does the same thing, right? You can do reminders in your phone. It's totally different having it actually there, totally actually different. writing letter by letter. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's totally it's the best thing I use. In fourth fourth question in this so slower light, lightning round because we get sidetracked is what is in one sentence what has been the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from that failure? The biggest the biggest fear I've had in my career and I would say in in my life has always been comparing myself to others. You know, I, I look at you and I say, gosh, this guy is is owning more. He's he owns more properties than me. I need to be more like him. And pretty soon I'm spending my day thinking of all the people that I'm not instead of who I am. So the biggest failure, I think, is, is, is allowing ourselves or allowing myself to get hung up on the things I don't have instead of, like I said earlier, re-anchoring myself in gratitude for the life I have and for what I'm able to do. So they, yeah, the, big, the biggest failure is, is, is distracting myself from who I am and what I'm doing and thinking too much of what others have. And the, the remedy for me has been, gosh, look at what I have in the world. I'm thinking, man, this is good. I'm going to keep what I'm doing do it as well as I can. Love it, love it, and, and it's it's important to run your own race, right? And just be exactly. mindful of what what you are, what you have achieved, and what you you know that you're on the right path, and that you're not early, you're not late, you're just on time. And I think that's really, really super important. Uh, Luke, last question to wrap it all up is: Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere a little bit more. They want to find out a little bit more about Res Pro, Props. Where do they go? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, look, you can live L E I N S. Uh, love, love talking real estate. Phone's always on seven two zero three four one five one four eight. And then my email is L L E I N S at investres i n v e s t r e s dot com. And uh, to, to learn more about our property management services, shoot me an email or visit our site at resproptmanagement.com. Awesome, man. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect a little bit of the things that I took away from today's show. I think the, the the underlying thing is how do you impact the world more? And having that underlying thesis of creating a business is really, really important. Having a purpose behind that and then going and driving a culture from that in order to serve more people. I think that's probably the number one thing that I've taken away from today's show and how you're actively every single day using technology in order to better the lives of other people both owners and um, tenants and employees to create that better culture, I think is super, super important. Um, did I leave anything out? No, I, I appreciate it, man. And, you know, also, you know, we're all, we're all fighting the same fight. We all have the same as a multifamily and we're all looking for the same solution. So, you know, the, the biggest thing is keep growing that network. You know, I, I appreciate you and the hustle and what you're doing. And that's helping all of us so much get connected with one another because the, the worst thing you can be in this industry is alone. So, no, I, I really appreciate exactly. what you're doing. Mate, my pleasure. Well, again, enjoy the rest of your week and we will catch up very, very soon. All right, man. Appreciate it. Well, there you have another cracking interview with uh, Luke. If you want any information from him and what he does over uh, InvestRes, please jump on LinkedIn and make sure you search Luke. It's L-U-K-E, Leans, L-E-I-N-S, or Lions it's pronounced. Um, and if you have any questions for Luke, shoot him over to him. He's a really awesome guy that is out there trying to get his name out in the world, but also is very willing with his time to talk to operators about how they can better manage their assets. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to continue 
continue to learn about for real estate investing and to continue to grow your financial IQ. We're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack.